0: um, there were a few of us in the youth group, and we decided that we wanted to put on a, a, a youth rally. And so uh, basically, we would put together this, this big one-day event, uh, and we would invite all of the other youth groups from all the churches around us and everything together. And, and what we were going to do is we were just figured we'd enjoy youth group, but on a bigger and better scale. Uh, we just make this massive event that we would all do youth group together, and uh, and so of course there there were going to be games. Uh, there's going to be food. It's youth group, right? There's got to be pizza and stuff like that. Uh, there's going to be music, and and of course at the at the end of it all, there's going to be a message because uh, the senior pastor never would have let us get away with doing this if there wasn't. So, um, do you remember? It was only a few years back. Maybe you remember that uh, all of a sudden it seemed like out of nowhere. Zombie culture became all the rage. I mean, all the movies that were coming out, all the video games that were coming out, everything that every kid wanted to dress up as for Halloween, everything in our culture had taken over that, that it, was, it was a zombie culture, right? And so me, being a teenager, come to the youth group and I'm like, guys, I have the best idea for this youth rally because nobody's thinking of anything like this. We'll do zombies, right? And so we decided that what we were gonna do is we went to, to Romans chapter six, where Paul writes about how, how we died to our old self and we became alive again in Christ. And so do you do you see where we were getting that, right? We we died, but then we came back to life, and we were like, guys, we can do this whole thing about, about zombies, it's gonna be super cool. Adults are gonna get so mad at us, and that's what youth group is all about, right? So uh, we we plan this whole event, we get everything going and and so all of this is based on that Romans 6 that we died to self and we came to life in Christ. And we had a friend who was a youth pastor in Bakersfield. And so we gave him a call and we were like, "Hey man, we want you to come and be the person who speaks at this event for us." And and we gave him all the details on what was going to happen, how this was going to work, and and it was a done deal. He was coming to speak. So the day of the youth rally comes, and I mean, we, we put on this huge event, probably the biggest youth rally this church has ever done, and uh, everything's going great. We've got all sorts of kids showing up, and we're going through this whole thing. We're going through the games and everything else, and I mean, the, the point we were trying to make was pretty clear, and then the youth pastor comes up, and it's his, his time to speak, and he preaches on why zombies are bad, and we're like, hold on a second. What? What? We've, something, something was missed here. Something wasn't communicated. So uh, if you're just brand new joining us in the series that we're going through in Galatians, uh, we're going through this whole book. The Apostle Paul wrote this to a group of non-Jews that we call Gentiles. And the Jews had come in and they told them something different from the good news that Paul had told them. And so they ended up going in all sorts of different directions. And Paul comes and he writes this book to set them straight. And so we're going to be picking up in chapter three this week, where Paul writes this in chapter three, verse one. He really gets at him at this point. Paul says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Wouldn't want to be the Galatians right now. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? So, So, Paul, he's built up to this point. He's not pulling any punches. He's kind of backed him into a corner now. And he's like, What's wrong with you guys? Where did you miss it? Where was the disconnect? What did you not understand about when I came the first time and I preached this gospel to you? Where, where did you lose that? And, and if you look in the, in the original Greek, this language is just as harsh, if not maybe a little bit more harsh towards the Galatians. I mean, Paul is just tearing into this group of people now, and uh, I'm sure in a, in a fairly uncomfortable way. And, and so what he's saying, what, what's going on here is Paul is This word foolish, he's not saying that that the people in Galatia are just stupid. He's not saying that they just lack the mental capacity to think things through. What he's saying in this word, he's saying, why are you guys being so lazy? I gave you the truth. You know the truth. You've heard the truth. And you're doing something else. And this is so, so in our youth group, after, after the event all ended, everything was all finished... The youth group, we, we got together, and we set up this meeting, and we were like, where did things go wrong? Where, where was the disconnect? Where did we, could we have done something maybe a little bit better to have communicated? I mean, uh, I, I talked to one of my friends in particular, who I'm still friends with. I reached out to him, and I was like, hey, you were the one who was supposed to talk to that youth pastor. Did you, you told him, right? And he's like, yeah, I told him. And he, he did it through text message, because millennials. And, and so he was able to show me. And he's like, look, I, I told him exactly what we're doing. So as we traced our steps back, we realized it wasn't anything to do with the message communicated, but it was the one who heard the message must have just stopped listening at a certain point. He he heard something about zombies, and then the rest of the conversation didn't matter anymore. He had it figured out. He knew what he was going to preach. He was in. He had this. So something was lost here. And Paul is saying to the Galatians, I've communicated this clearly to you. You know this gospel. You know this good message of Jesus. And it's not that you just can't, that you don't have the ability to figure this out. You just refuse to. You're just being lazy about it. You're, you're being lazy in the sense that anybody can come in and tell you anything. And you're gonna pick that up and run with it just like it's the truth. But you know better. Have you ever known somebody like this? Someone who, who you can tell them all that you want. You can, you can impart all the truth that you want to them. And they just seem to be lazy about it. I mean, if, if I'm being honest, this was me my entire uh, teenage years. Um, probably more teenagers, but, but I can only account for myself hearing all the time, Seth, you know better than this. Seth, you know better than this. I, and all the time my parents tell me, like, Seth, you, I look at the grades that you get in school. I look at what you're doing. Why are you doing this? You know better than this. We've taught you better than this. My parents still tell me all the time, Seth, we taught you better than this. And I'm like, guys, I am exactly the man you taught me to be. And so I just put it back on them because it works out best for me that way. But, but so the Galatians, you know, they knew the truth. They had the truth, but they weren't falling back on the truth that they knew. They weren't sitting in the truth that Paul had taught them. And Paul, with, with this aggressive language that he's using, he goes on and even says, who has bewitched you? And this is really interesting, actually, because this word here is not used anywhere else in the rest of the Bible. This is the only place in the whole Bible that you'll ever see this word. And so what what that tells us is that there's a little bit of significance here, because what we've learned when we look through the Gospels, when we look through the Sermon on the Mount, when we look through the teachings of Jesus, is we always see from Jesus that he meets us where we are. Right, He meets us in our culture. He meets us in our brokenness, in our sin, and he takes just little baby steps. Come on, just follow me, just little baby steps. We'll get you there eventually. It's a process. It's a process. You're not overnight, just boom, you're perfect, you're good to go, right? He meets you where you are, and he takes you with him. So what Paul is doing here, the reason you don't see this anywhere else is because Paul is meeting Galatian culture where they were. Paul is, there's no reason for you to see this anywhere else because this is something that's only going to make sense to the Galatians. So what he's talking about is I gave you the truth and you're looking at something else now. And this idea of bewitching is, is in the Greek culture. It was like if you think about a snake charmer, right? That snake that comes up out of the basket, and then you look at the snake's eyes, and all of a sudden you can't not look at the snake's eyes. You're just stuck looking at the snake's eyes. And they believe that this is when you could get a spell cast on you and, and completely take over all your actions. You lose the ability to take care of yourself because you looked at the snake's eyes for too long. You got stuck in a trance, and now somebody else is controlling you. And so Paul is saying, it's it's almost like, in a sense, that they've got squirrel syndrome, right? They saw something shiny, they forgot what they were supposed to be looking at, and they got focused on something else. They turned away so quickly. And and so what what we should be looking at from this is Paul pointing to the Galatians, get your eyes back on Jesus. You're, You're missing Jesus now. Because as soon as you change the gospel, you're looking at a different Jesus, It's not the Jesus that we read about in the New Testament. As soon as you've changed the gospel. And so Paul is saying to the Galatians, you fools, how did you you move away from that so quickly? Especially something so good, something so freeing. How did you turn away so quickly? And so Paul, he backs up his point. And in the last part of Galatians chapter three, verse one, Paul writes this. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So uh, before I started pastoring, I worked in retail for six years, and uh, it it takes someone special to work in in retail for an extended period of time, let me tell you. Uh, The first three years that I was in retail were all working at my first job for Save Mart Supermarkets. And uh, I never once got promoted while I was a Save Mart, which maybe I wasn't that special person that it takes to work in retail then, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but, But so I worked the entire three years that I was there making minimum wage as a bagger. So I was, if you go to Save Mart, I was the guy standing at the end of the belt squishing your bread and anything else that you had to complain about that was probably on me. But, but not really, because I was guys, I was so good at bagging groceries. like I mean, when you have a pointless job, you have to make it fun, right? So I had to be better than everybody else, and just paper bags are the worst, though. That's, side note, can't stand them, harder to bag that way. But so, so working my position, you know, I had all the, um, your job description says your job is to bag groceries, to help people out to their car, and, this is the important part, any other miscellaneous task that management assigns, right? That's, that's the last part of my job description. So when we're slow, I've always got management sending me all over the place, doing whatever. So I'll be out, and baggers aren't allowed to stock shelves, right, because Save March Union. And so they can only make us do certain things. So we can't stock shelves, so instead we were told to face the items on the shelves. So everything had to be pulled to the front, right, so that it looked good, even though it wasn't actually stocked. It looked like it was. So I'd be in the aisles facing the shelves, and this happened so much more than I would like to believe that it happened, we would, regularly, a customer would walk up as I'm, I'm pulling forward the green beans on the shelves and everything, and walk up and be, hey, uh, what aisle do you guys have your lag bolts on? Excuse me? Yeah, you know, your, your lag bolts. Where, where do you guys keep those? You said lag bolts? Yeah, yeah, where do you, where do you keep those? And, and see, I valued my job, so I never did this, but what I always wanted to do in that moment was, was walk out the front of the store, and look up at the neon signs. Yep, yeah, that still says Save Mart. That's still. Where do you think you are? Like what's, st- AutoZone isn't even close to us. Like what are you? And, and so, you know, I, I'm. What are what are you thinking? It's it's posted clearly on the outside that this is Save Mart, and and as a grocery store, we did what most grocery stores do. We sold groceries, right? Like like food, like. Green beans and lettuce and other foods that are less healthy. And, and so we'd get these people who'd come in looking for all sorts of things. And I'm like, where do you think you are? I mean, did you not see the giant neon signs on the outside of the building? Did you, did you just not know how to read? Like, I'm, I'm confused why you're so confused. Something was, something was missing here. And, and this is what, what basically Paul is saying to the Galatians, that they didn't physically see Jesus crucified. They weren't physically there to watch him crucified. But as Paul preached the gospel to them, as Paul told them of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it was these bright neon lights on the outside of the building so that you don't even have to walk inside to know that we sell groceries. By the time you get in there, you, you don't walk in there by mistake. You know what we're about. You know what we do. Everything in the store is decorated so that if you do somehow make it in there by mistake, there's still no doubt about it. We sell groceries, not tools, right? We sell groceries. And so Paul is saying, you had these bright neon lights, you had the gospel proclaimed to you in such a way that there was no doubt. It's like the billboard on the freeway of that In-N-Out burger when I'm coming home from Katie's parents' house, that whether I've eaten it or not, boy, do I have a good idea of what that burger is all about, right? So when I do go to that store, when I do get in the In-N-Out drive-thru, I know what it's about. I know what I'm getting myself into. And Paul's like, you should know what you're getting yourselves into, I made this so clear to you. You didn't actually see the crucifixion of Jesus, but you may as well have. It was was taught to you so clearly. There's no way you could be confused by this. And and so Paul, he keeps reaffirming this point, so he then moves to verse 2 in Galatians 3, and Paul says, okay, let me ask you just, just one question. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by... And so there's a couple things here. How did you receive the Spirit? Let's go back to square one. What's your starting point? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or hearing with faith? Right, you've got two options now. Where did you start? What was your starting point? What was the cause of your salvation? What got you started in all of this? And and do you see what Paul's doing here? It's an important question because now the Galatians have to go back to when Paul did come and preach. Now they have to go back before everything that confused them. All the other just minutia that come into their lives and their thought process and everything else. Let's, Paul's saying, okay, let's, let's take a step back for a minute. Let's walk away from everything else. Where did you start? What was, what was that first thing? And so as the Galatians are, are struggling through understanding where their Christianity comes from and what it is, is they're struggling with Questions that we still struggle with today, actually, going back to the starting point. We, we still have, you know, whether we're comparing Christianity to, to Buddhism, to Hinduism, to Islam, uh, anything else out there, whether we're comparing, you know, the, the denomination of Christianity that we hold to to another one, whatever it is, we have fundamental questions that every human struggles with. And these need to be our starting point, right? Because there's, there's a struggle between tension between eternality and finality. There's a struggle, there's a tension between the personal and the impersonal. There's a struggle between slavery and freedom, right? So we have all of these tensions that we have to figure out. We have just these these three, eternality versus finality, personal versus impersonal, freedom versus slavery, right? And so we've gotta unpack these a little bit. We've got these tensions eternality versus finality as christians we believe in eternity right okay as christians we believe in eternity right okay you guys are still awake. cool and so we we believe in an eternal god and we believe that we can have eternal life however we still have a problem with finality don't we i mean christians still mourn death do they not To some regards, some of us still fear death, right? And and we don't even have to get that intense with it. We we don't like finality just in the sense that when you're enjoying something good, when you're having a good time with your friends, you don't want to be the first one to go home, right? We don't want that finality. There's there's that tension there. Personal versus impersonal. And and so think about it in this regard. Let me unpack it this way for you. Uh, The world that we live in has become remarkably impersonal. And we can see it in this way. If you get in a car accident, what's the first thing that people want? They want your insurance, right? They want to make sure that their material goods are taken care of. And oh, by the way, are you okay? (laughs) First things first though, I spent a lot of money on this car. I spent a lot of time working for this money. Let's make sure that these things are good first. Do you see the, the tension between personal and impersonal there? I mean, we can see this in all sorts of different scenarios, in all the different ways that inanimate objects drive us more than even human interaction does. And there's a universal truth of loneliness that human beings struggle with. I mean, it doesn't matter if you you see these celebrities who are always surrounded by people. They're always doing the best things and then come to find out that they feel so alone. There's a tension there. And then, of course, there's the tension between freedom and slavery. We live in a society that's, that's driven by more freedom, more freedom, more freedom, more freedom. I want to do what I want to do with no consequences. And, and I am willing to, to redefine anything that needs to be redefined so that I can do the things that I want to do with no consequences, right? So we're always pushing for more and more freedom, and, and we're trying to define our own freedom, and what do we end up doing? We just trap ourselves to something else. We get stuck in a cycle. We get stuck in in something always needing more from us, always pulling on more from us than we have to offer. We find ourselves in bondage to the very things that we pursue for freedom. So all of this tension here then, as we go back and we answer this question, where did it all start? As As we unpack this tension, where does all of this meet? There's only one place that all of this can be rectified together and that is in the person of Jesus and that is in the perfect work of Jesus that we see the perfect response to each of these tensions because we have a God who is eternal and offers eternity to us he proves to us that that death is no longer an issue because in his triumph he offers us victory So we have that eternity. We have a God who seeks a personal relationship with each of us. He he doesn't require us to work our way up to him. He doesn't require us to do enough. He doesn't require us to be enough. He just offers us to be in relationship with him. And we have a God who can and will free us from all of the bondage that we've put on ourselves. And he offers us that freedom. So all of this comes together in the perfect work of Jesus. So so when we go back to Paul's question, where did all of this start? Where did you receive the Spirit in the first place? We're, We're faced with having to address these issues. And there's only one way that they can be addressed. If I have to work out my salvation, I only have so much time to accomplish that. There's finality. If I have to work out my freedom... It's based on action and not relationship. It's impersonal. If I have to work out my salvation, I'm a slave to the question of, am I enough? Have I done enough? That's bondage. And so any way that you try to look at this, whether it's through different religions, whether it's even through different forms of Christianity, all of this can only meet in one place. All of this can only be made right in one place, and that's in the same gospel that Paul came and proclaimed to the Galatians. And that same good news of Jesus. That when we look at eternality, personal, and freedom, we can only have those things in the perfect work of Jesus. There's nowhere else we can find those things. And so, Paul, he's got them in a corner now, right? He's backed them into this place where so they've had to step away from everything they knew. They're backed in a corner. Okay, so you recognize that you received the Spirit. When all of this started, when you accepted the grace of Jesus. So, Galatians 3, uh, verse 3, Paul says, Are you so foolish then? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it is in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So so now that he's backed them into that corner and, and they recognize, okay, okay, Paul, you're right. We received the Spirit when we believed in the perfect work of Jesus. That's when all of this changed for us. So now Paul is saying, okay, so if it was the Spirit through the grace of God that changed you, that gave you this start, that made you a new person, why would it be by works that you move forward? Why would it be by trying hard enough If God started you on this path, why would he choose for you to go down a different path once you started it, right? Every time I change the oil in my car, I run into the same problem. My arms. They're just not athletic, we'll say, right? Um, Don't laugh. That's rude. Um, So uh, every time I, I change the oil in my car, I run into the same problem. And I, I get down there, I crawl under my car, I get it up on the ramps, and uh, I crawl down there, and I take the tools with me, and I grab the ratchet and a socket, and I try it, and it doesn't work. So I go to the next one, and I try it, and it doesn't work, still too small. So I, I go like three more up, try it, it's still too small. How did I guess so small the first time? And then so I grab another one, now this one's too big, and then I backtrack, and eventually, give me six to eight tries, and I'll find the right socket. It's the same one every time, but it's still a guessing game for me. And so I get down there, and I finally get the right socket, and. I pull, and I pull, and I pull, and I pull, and I and then, Okay, lefty-loosey, righty-tighty. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm doing this the right way. So pull, and pull, and pull, and it's not working. So I finally, okay, I take the ratchet down, I crawl back out from under the car, I go to the toolbox, and I grab a hammer, and I crawl back into the car, and I take the ratchet, I hook it back on, and I go to swing the hammer only to realize that there's not really enough room under a car to swing a hammer. And I do this every time for some reason. So then I take the ratchet back off, I crawl back out from under the car, I go back to the the toolbox, I put the hammer away, and then I, I grab the breaker bar, which is actually designed for this kind of stuff. I get down there, I put this long bar on the end of the ratchet handle, and all of a sudden I've got leverage, and it's like that, it comes off every time. And it's like, Seth, if the breaker bar is what worked the first time, the second time, the third time, then why on the fourth try are you still trying the wrong tool? Why are you still grabbing the wrong... I'm, I'm convinced that I'm going to get it right one of these times. But I always go back to the wrong tool. And so Paul is asking the Galatians this same question. If you used the right tool the first time and it worked, why are you trying to use a different tool? Why, why are you that guy who is grabbing the hammer while crawling under his car with a ratchet thinking he's got enough room down there to, to swing that hammer with his like, Tyrannosaurus Rex arms or something, can't make it work. The breaker bar worked the first time. Use the breaker bar. The grace of Jesus worked the first time. Stop trying to do this on your own. You'll never succeed. And, and the cross of Jesus reminds us that the work of Jesus is enough, that the work of Jesus was enough, and the work of Jesus will be Enough. Right We're we're, we're in this place, when I look back at the cross, I'm reminded, if you did that for me then, then you're not done with me. You're not leaving me to figure this out on my own. It's a reminder of the faithfulness of God for us. And yet, if we're not careful, how often is it that we crawl back into the car with the wrong tool again? You know, we we, we spend so much time accomplishing things through the grace of God that, that we forget that it's actually God and not us, right? We, we Each of us have these gifts that God has given to us. He's, he's allowed us to work in these special, unique ways so that we can all come together and make the church function in a way that will bring God's kingdom from heaven down to earth. And we start to think, man, I'm good at this. I can do this. I've, I got this, right? And then we fail. Why? Because we forget the fuel behind that gift is not my own effort, But the fuel behind that gift is the same thing that got me started in the first place. It's that grace of God. It always comes back to grace. It's always coming back to grace. So then Paul does this really cool thing for the Galatians here. Because remember, it's the Jews who have come to the Galatians and started messing everything up for them. Paul came into this non-Jewish community, preached the gospel. Everything was great. The church was growing. Things were good. And then the Jews came in and made everyone confused just like Christians seem to do for some reason. And so, so Paul, is, he's actually confronting the Jews the same time that he's teaching the Galatians. And so in and, and verse 6 in our text, Paul says this. Verse 6. There it is. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying this In you all nations will be blessed So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith uh, So so much of this of this book of this whole book that Paul wrote to the Galatians We won't even call it a letter. We call it a book, right? This is too long to be a letter. And Paul writes this to the Galatians. And and all of this actually comes all the way back to this man, Abraham. And and we read about this this really weird thing that that the Galatians are being taught here. Uh, It all comes down to circumcision, which we won't get into that a ton. But all of this comes back to this man, Abraham. This is the first guy that God gave this command to. This is the first time that this happened. And so the Jews are convinced that if Abraham did it, if it's good enough for Abraham, it's good enough for me, right? And so, ultimately, the Jews, they revered Abraham. I mean, you can see in the, in the gospel accounts in the New Testament, they called Abraham their father. This was the guy they looked up to. This was the guy who was everything to them. This is if you wanted to know how to be a good follower of God, look at Abraham. He's got to figure it figured out. And ultimately, it was through Abraham that everyone would be blessed. So so the Jews, being direct descendants of Abraham, felt that this fact alone made them better than everyone else. Because it says, and you shall all nations be blessed. So everyone who comes from Abraham is blessed. We came from Abraham, you didn't. So, sorry, we're better than you guys. Not much we can do about it. It's just, that's what God says. But but Paul begins to flip this on him. Paul Paul begins to show the Jews that this isn't how this works. The Jews put all of this into Abraham, all this weight on Abraham. So that's exactly who Paul uses to prove his own point. Let's, if we go back and we look at some of the highlights of, of what exactly Paul is referring to with Abraham, Paul starts out by saying that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, now let me unpack this a little bit. Paul doesn't say that Abraham believed in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Do you, do you see the difference there? See, when, when we talk about believing in God, all, all we're doing is we're believing that, yeah, there, there is some cosmic being who makes the world keep spinning for us, and we, maybe we don't know who he is, maybe his name is God, maybe, you know... It's all the same, really, right? But that's not not what Paul is saying. It's more than just believing in God. Just believing in God. James says, man, the demons have that down. If that's all you got, you're not in a good place, right? Takes a little bit more than that. Simply believing that he exists is not what Abraham did. Abraham believed God. He trusted what he said. He believed who he said he was, And so if we were to go back to Genesis chapter 15 and and look at this story where where God meets with Abraham and, and realize Abraham already believed in God at this point, right? Like they had had some interactions, but God meets with Abraham in chapter 15 of Genesis and he says, Abraham, you are going to have so many offspring that nations are going to come from you, that the redemption of this world will come from starting with just you and Sarah. And Abraham's like, God, I, I don't know if you noticed, but I am so old. And Sarah, I don't think she's ready to have kids. Like, I mean, she's, she's missed that point. Like, sorry, God, this ain't gonna happen. And, and God almost sits down with Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I want you to look up at the stars and, and try and count them. If, if, you can even, if you can even begin to count the stars, I want you to try and count them. And your offspring will be so many that it's going to be like the stars, that you can't even try and count them. And it was in that moment, the very next verse says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He trusted who God was. He believed the promise of God. He believed that God was exactly who he said he was. And, and we often think of Abraham's great faith moment, right? We, we think of this great faith moment of Abraham where this promised son that God had given to him, Abraham took that son and God was like, hey, I want you to go sacrifice him up on that mountain. What? <laughs> so, but Abraham, being more obedient than I would probably be, goes ahead and takes his son, goes up the mountain, ties his hands up, ties his feet up, throws him up on an altar, gets some sticks, and uh, pulls a knife out, and God finally says, Stop. There's a ram in the bush. I just needed to know that you believe me. Not that you believe in me. I needed to know that you believe me. And so see, this wasn't the defining moment for Abraham, though. This is what we all think about, but this wasn't the defining moment. The defining moment was all the way back when Abraham was sit down to look at the stars, and he had no proof other than creation itself. And this is the same position that God puts us in. Just trust me. Believe me. I made all of this just so that you could enjoy it. You know why smells smell good? Because God made them that way, so that you could enjoy them. You know why food tastes good? Because God made it that way, so that you could enjoy it. You know why colors look so good and why we can see so many of them? Because God wanted us to enjoy all of the creation that he had for us. And it's in this that he says, trust me, you can trust my grace. You can trust that I have your best interest in mind. You can trust that I can handle you better than you can even handle yourself. And so the Jews spent all this time looking at the works of Abraham and the way he kept the law, the way he did everything right, right? This this faith moment of, of him taking his son up on the mountain, oh, look at the things that Abraham did. And Paul's saying, no, look at what Abraham believed. Look at what he believed. That was the defining moment for Abraham. And ultimately, he says that all the people who would believe, who would have the faith that Abraham has, the last thing he says in this passage is he says, Abraham, the man of faith, not the man of works, not the man of accomplishments, the man of faith. And everyone who believes like he does, he says, and you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. God ultimately adopted Abraham into his family. And the same adoption is offered to us. We're not that we can be a part of Abraham's family necessarily, but we have this opportunity to be In the family of God, we have this opportunity to be a part of the family business with God. And and all of this tension of eternity versus finality, of, of freedom versus slavery, of impersonal versus personal, we take all of this together and realize, I can't do it. But the grace of Jesus covers that. And the cross reminds me that moving forward, he's gonna be the one who will carry me through this. And some of us are struggling to move forward in our faith. Some of us are struggling to get this right. And it's, ultimately, it's because we're using the wrong tools. We were given the right tool to start with, but we're using the wrong tool now. We started with grace, and then we grabbed something else along the way. Why don't we go back to grace? Why don't we go back? Last week I brought a chair out here and I showed us that that so many of us are just kind of hovering over that chair. We're not actually sitting in it. We have this fake faith and we're tired. You know what else will make you tired? Using the wrong tools because you're using them the wrong way. Just trust that God really can do this better than you can. Put all of that in him and trust him to carry you through this. I mean whether it's your finances whether it's your family uh, no matter what's going on ultimately God cares about all of those things so much more than you do so you can trust him with those things Some of us have only come so far as to believe in God we believe that God exists but we haven't taken that next step we don't believe God yet and and we want to give you that opportunity this morning Some of us haven't even made it that far Uh, and, And I want to encourage you and give you that opportunity to trust God at what he said, to believe in who he is. Romans 10, Paul writes to us, the same author, he writes to us that whoever believes in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved. It's not on you. It's never been on you. Jesus can handle all of this so much better than you can. Just trust him to pull you through this. Trust him to be the one who can save you and and rectify all of the tension that life throws at us. And so Jesus, we come into your presence this morning just thankful for who you are, thankful uh, that, that, that you pursue us the way that you do. That as we continually make mistakes, as we continually get things wrong, as we continually use the wrong tools, you continue to pursue us and love us. And God, if there's anyone in here uh, this morning who doesn't yet have a relationship with you, I I just ask that you would would convict that soul, that you would uh, prove to them how much you love them and how much you want them. And God, ultimately, I pray the same thing for each of us in here, that we would feel your love, that we would know that you care for us far more than we even care for ourselves, and we can trust you, that we can look at your cross and trust that if you did that then, we can trust you to continue pulling us forward now. God, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.